0: If everyone uses a 12-inch roller to build a house, and then one day the government wakes up and they change out all the rollers for an 11-inch roller, but they don't tell anybody, that distorts everything in the system because you're using that as a measure. And the same thing happens with money. Hello
1: there, how are you all? Happy Halloween, happy white paper anniversary day. Yes, it was this day that Satoshi released the white paper to the world. It's also my birthday. Do you think that's a coincidence? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Anyway,
2: welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. And as it's my birthday, and as it's white paper anniversary day, I'm going to be stacking some sats. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with Stephen Lubka. Stephen is from Swan. We've got him back on the show. Now, after the last show we made with Stephen a couple of months back, I knew I wanted to get him back on. So I've said, whenever we're back in Miami, Stephen, will call you up, we'll get you back on the show.
1: And he'd just written an entire article for us, well, not for us, but for us to use for the show about the misallocation of capital. It's a great piece, and it helps to make sense of some of the strange
2: events we're seeing around us, particularly in relation to the weird phenomenon of the explosion of firms that don't make any money, which is kind of weird. Um, But I love talking to Stephen. He's super knowledgeable, passionate, and excellent at breaking down complex issues. So if you've got any questions about this, you want to reach out? want to ask about this show. Any show, if you just want to say happy birthday, Pete, I'm sending you some sats to buy you some whiskey, then please drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And I do reply to everyone. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get back
1: because I get a few emails from you, but I will get back to you. So do reach out to me. All right, onto the show. I hope you enjoy this. Stephen killed it as ever.
2: Stephen, good to see you again, man. Peter,
0: great to be back. How are you? I'm good, man. It's been good. It's been an exciting time. We've had a ton going on. I mean, coming into Pacific Bitcoin, I got a little announcement we're gonna talk about real quick. And uh, obviously, a never a dull time with Bitcoin, so nope. a lot going on.
2: Can't make, a, can't make a show without Corey sending you in with some messages to relay to me.
0: No, no. Uh,
2: did you walk here?
0: I'd like to say yes, but it's not true. I did. I did take a car.
2: I like walking. I do. I like go for a walk. Me and uh, when Danny's in Australia and I'm in the UK, uh, we sometimes have this thing where I'll, because it's his evening, in my morning. I yeah. wake up. We we phone each other, and I go for like a walk that can only be be anything from an hour to over no no half an hour to an hour, but
1: like
0: I love it.
2: Some like at most an hour and a half, uh, but usually about an hour. Uh, and then I see you are walking fucking four hours a day. <laughs> like, what? You're like the Forrest Gump of Bitcoin.
0: I, uh, one time I calculated, I looked at my walking pace and I compared it to Forrest Gump in the movie. And it's like three and a half years, he walks from coast to coast, like three times or something. And it, and it works out about to how much I walk. So I was pretty, I got a kick out of that, but uh, I love it. And I was, I was talking with Danny before that, even if there was like no health benefit and there was no anything like that, like just purely for mental clarity and focus, I would do it. It just like, I just feel good. It, it helps me think, it helps me write. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent.
2: You, is it three walks a day?
0: It's, 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 it's a bunch of small ones. Like, I'm not doing, like, a giant marathon. I just will, you know, I'll, if I'm sending emails or responding to Slack messages or if I have just, like, a normal phone call or, you know, in the morning and at night. But, you know, if, if I can be doing something walking, I usually am.
2: So you do you do your Slack messages while walking?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And so, and you're averaging about four hours a day. Is that I right? think
0: so, yeah. Yeah, it's about 10 miles on average, probably about three and a half to four hours. That's not a lot of walking. It is a lot of walking. Do you ever run? No, I don't run. I'm you... like purely like I. I <laughs> it was said before that running is the shit coin of walking, uh, and I, I kind of believe that. Not to not to hate on any of the runners out there, but walking is just uh, that is that is pretty much what I do. I get very little exercise apart from that.
2: Okay, and so you get up and you walk, and then you go for a few. Where are you walking? Where
0: you around my? Uh, so you know, I have a house, and in the neighborhood around there, there's literally just like a a loop, like a circle. It's a, the neighborhood's a circle. And I just do laps, it's the same route every day. And for me, it's like, no friction. There needs to be no friction in the habit. If I had to get into a car and drive somewhere to take a walk, that like kills the whole thing. It's just like out the door immediately going and like, you know, no, no interruption between that. thing.
2: Are, are you like the walking dude in the neighborhood? your like, neighborhood you
0: crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, absolutely. I mean, this has been in multiple neighborhoods where I am like known for just Walking around the neighborhood consistently, and so for like the first six months that I live there, everyone thinks I'm a lunatic. Yeah, but then I get to know everybody, and now we're all friends. Yeah,
2: <laughs> darling, that weirdo is walking again. <laughs> He's doing laps past our house. I've been
0: I've been called the walking guy.
2: How, by, okay, by so neighbors. how many laps of that neighborhood is one day?
0: I probably will do it's about a mile, so I think ten laps give or take.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you're walking past every house every <laughs> house ten times.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's Florida, yeah. so there's like a lot of retirees. and you're so right. they're just yeah. in their house just seeing me go by throughout the day at certain intervals. on it? the phone too. so I'm always I'm always kind of on the phone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, listen, it's uh, I need to get back walking. So uh, you're going to inspire me to get back. I don't think I'm going to do four hours a day, but I don't know. I'll see what I can do. See what I can do with this. It's about to get cold in the UK, yeah. though. So
0: I built up to that over years. Like I've done this. I've done this for a long time, and it wasn't. I you know definitely didn't start there.
2: So the 10,000 steps a day, you're crushing that. I'm
0: crushing that. Yeah, crushing mm, it. I've, I've, got, I've got 35. I had a 40K day once. Fuck, I don't, pff, yeah. don't know if <laughs> I've ever
2: done that. Well, listen, man, it was good to see you again. Well, yeah. it was It is good to see you again. Uh, really enjoyed our last chat. Uh, yeah. It tends to be the way somebody comes on for their first time and you have a great conversation. It's like, when can we get you back? And you know, when we're coming back, Danny said, uh, we've got to get Stephen back and he's going to work on something for us. Uh, he's going to prepare an article for us yeah um, about the mis- misallocation of money which is right now couldn't be more apt in terms of a t- topic because we are seeing the insidious impact of the mis- misallocation of money right now globally locally domestically um, so uh, but why why did you want to tackle this subject yourself?
0: I mean, it's 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 a lot of what you just said, right? This is this underlying dynamic that um, I think is just baked into the system, baked into fiat, baked into the way that we approach money and we approach investment and all of the financial abstractions that have been built on top of that. And we just have abstractions on top of abstractions. We have derivatives on top of derivatives. And we've lost sight with... Of what is the core purpose? What is the real purpose of money of a financial system? Why, why do we have a financial system? Why is finance good or beneficial? What does money do? Um, and it, we've taken it to have a reality of its own that, you know, money has its own existence. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of argue and, and, and kind of make, lay out some principles that money's existence is, you know, Terrifically important, it's an incredible institution, but it's, it's interrelated with the real world. It's interrelated with um, all of these other things.
2: Um, I mentioned recently on a podcast to somebody, I think it might've been Parker Lewis. Uh, I mentioned to him recently that uh, as a Bitcoin, you often get asked what Bitcoin is. Yeah. And I'm increasingly finding myself not explaining what Bitcoin is, is what is wrong with money itself. Absolutely. So what I'm hoping from this interview, this might be one of the ones where I'm, I'm say, when I am want to say to people, uh, especially at the moment in the UK, my football club, I've got a lot of people saying this, I've mean, even got a session coming soon with the players. We're going to be sitting down and explain them to they want to understand Bitcoin because we want to do lightning tips during games. So <laughs> guy scores a goal, yeah. flash off his guard tip in some lightning man of the match. Yeah, yada, yada, yada go, goalkeeper saves a penalty. But to do that, we've got to get them a wallet, but also I want them to understand what Bitcoin is. But I don't want to go in with a conversation of this is what Bitcoin is. It's censorship resistant money. It has 21. No, I don't want to do no. that. I want to go in and say I want to explain what is wrong with money now. Yeah. And I'm hoping this is the interview I go listen to this. Just go and listen to this before we start because you need to understand what Bitcoin is fixing before you understand how it fixes it.
0: Absolutely. And it's the same thing of what I said like money's only relevant in so far as it relates to these other real structures. Bitcoin's only relevant because there's a problem with money, right? If there if there wasn't a problem with money, um, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter. Bitcoin's a very inefficient system. It's very important that it has those inefficiencies, but. The reason we we pay those inefficiencies is because there's such a profound problem and i kind ca- I kind of you know get to it I mean the article it's i you know it's like sixteen pages, and I barely mentioned Bitcoin once, and at the end, I apologize to my readers and they say you know i've been I've been very rude to you guys. The only reason you're reading this is because you like Bitcoin, and I haven't even talked about it, but it's because it's so important it's because Bitcoin is contextualized Bitcoin is understood in its relationship to fiat like they're in it. They're in a dialogue. I think I said that on our, la- you know, the last time we yep. spoke that they're just intrinsically in conversation with each other. There's going to be a relationship, and I think it goes, you know, very deep. Um,
2: well, we just sat down with Peri Boring from the Digital Chamber of Commerce. Had a fascinating conversation with her. Uh, one of the things she uh, raised was that in- inflation is the number one issue for voters right now. Yeah, and. I think if you haven't heard of Bitcoin, or even well, maybe even you heard of, you haven't been down the rabbit hole. When you are told there's a problem with inflation, you point to the government, you blame them, and most of the time, what your answer is going to be is, "What are you going to do about it?" And if you're not going to do anything about it, what is the uh, opposition political party going to do it sure. do about sure. it? And I'm going to vote for them. Yeah. So even more recently, keep you bring up that Keir Starmer art thing? Yeah. Okay, sound so, money thing. Sound money, okay. but it's not sound money. Okay, but uh, so we've got a high inflation problem. We've got all kinds of problems in the UK at the moment. High <laughs> Liz Trust, um, yeah, we've got all kinds of problems in the UK at the moment. But Keir Starmer is the leader of the Labour Party. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's uh, he's essentially so the way it works in the in the UK is um, you have a prime minister, and then you have a shadow cabinet, which is the second party, and there are third and fourth parties. Yeah. But the, the shadow cabinet uh, tends to debate in Parliament. But you have a leader of both, so you have. Okay who is the Prime Minister, and who is who wants to be Prime Minister. And they've just had their conference, and Keir Starmer used his conference speech on Tuesday to tell voters that his party stands for sound money. <laughs> but his <laughs> idea of sound money is not your and our idea of sound no. money. It is uh, a marketing term to explain uh, we need to... Like, I understand what he's trying to say. Yeah. He's trying to say, we need our money to have more meaning. We yeah. need to have better economic policy. Yeah. But he's not talking about sound money like we are. No. But the point being is that we look for that other person to vote for. But what we know is inflation is not a single uh, term issue. It's successive governments, and it's the incentive system of the fiat money system. What we're going to talk about here is this is a completely alternative view. This is the yeah. Orange Party. This is a vote out <laughs> of the politics and a vote for something new. That's why I think yeah. this could be supremely important. And I'm hoping, no, no pressure, Stephen. That I'm going to be passing this one out. Just fucking listen to this.
0: Okay. So the pressure on, brother. Yeah. Before we get going, I want to announce one thing. Okay. Is that okay? Bit of marketing. Okay. So we are doing, we just announced, we're doing a a fundraising initiative with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Yes. And you know who they are. If the listeners, they, they don't are. know who they are. It is a collection of what I have personally assessed through hours of conversation to be, in my opinion, some of the, the best, smartest, most high quality academics that are interested in researching and publishing on Bitcoin. Not only are they really intelligent, there's a lot of smart people in the world, but in my conversations with them, I think they represent Bitcoin well. I think they understand Bitcoin well, and for the right reasons. And so Swan is working with them to raise money to publish papers in academic journals. And the point of this is recently in the US, we had the White House Uh, report on Bitcoin mining. And basically, just to keep this short, it cited a bunch of digiconomist DeVries research and like (coughs) more at all. Yep. Yep. And like literally, so this research, it's not, you know, reasonable people can have different opinions. It wasn't, I'm skeptical of Bitcoin and, you know, I'm over here liking Bitcoin. It's like factually incorrect stuff, like a claim that miners throw out their ASICs after 1.5 years right? Like, that's so false. If that's true, uh, Bitcoin community, I will take all of your 1.5 year old ASICs, you give them to me, I will recycle them. But no one's going to do that because that's complete false information. And so this is a problem because it's not just like, you know, reasonable people can disagree. If it was just skeptical, oh, you know, you know, we think it's more vulnerable, we think it's this or that. OK, fine. I mean, still worth researching, but um, this is outright false information. And, and those are my words. And um, we think it's time that Bitcoin was represented in academic journals appropriately because they're just we've waited. Right. We've waited years, but it just seems that and there have been a couple, but it seems like there are very few papers and very few academics, especially outside of the BPI fellows that have stood up to. Maybe not represent Bitcoin, because it, it does need to be neutral, it does need to be credible, right? But um to not come at Bitcoin with this 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 heavy bias that we're seeing in this other reports and to and to represent it. So anyways. We're, we're fundraising. We're the, All the money goes to publishing papers if we raise enough money buying out these, these fellows' course loads. So they just research Bitcoin full-time. We think it's going to be really good for America and policy and D.C. academic research, and we're just committed to making that happen.
2: Okay, so um, how do people support this?
0: Yeah, so we've got a we've got a fundraiser, and Swan is Swan starting with an initial donation of five thousand, and we've been raising money. And um, you know, the, the the there's a bunch of different thresholds that will hit that make more papers get published, that make more research happen, and we're just engaging with the community. We're going to have the BPI guys come on uh, some of Swan's shows and talk about it, and you'll be hearing a lot about this.
2: Well, we've had uh, a lot of the BPI guys on yeah. our show. We've been supporting. In that, trying to raise them up. Uh, who have we had? We've got had Zell, there was that, we've got one right here. Yeah, we've got uh, Andrew Bailey's about to join us. Um, we've had it's Troy Cross, yeah, Troy Cross, Margot, Margot, yep. yeah, yeah. So, we've we've tried heavily the yep. other one. And sorry, not Perry Ann, Nathalie Smolensky, Nathalie Smolensky. That's yeah, she she's was written great. A piece for them. Uh, I, I've agree with you, uh, independent of this, I will support, I will also match your donation, I'll make a five thousand
0: dollar. That's awesome,
2: which is. I'm trying to work, has that worked out good for us with the exchange rate? No, this is it's bad. Not as bad <laughs> yeah, you could have done it a year ago. That's amazing. Again, eh? uh, <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll you, support Peter. you. But let me contextualize this to the yeah. people listening, because as I said, I want this to be a show that like the guys who play for my football team listen yeah. to, and my manager, and my friends who aren't yeah. down the rabbit hole. I know there are a bunch of Bitcoiners that naturally get this, but I just made the point that in politics, in a world where successive governments, whether they're left or right wing, centrist, they... Continue to fuck up the money because of the incentive system allows them to debase the currency yes they, they have a they have a, uh, access to a permanent loan facility that they never have to repay back and they leave it to other people to to pay back a future generations so so the incentive system is to fuck the money and I'm saying there is an alternative here. And as an alternative, it's where we take away access to the money printer by having better money. And we're gonna get into all of that. Yeah. But in doing so, the incentive system is for them to produce reports or propaganda, which is misleading, which uh, misleads press, misleads uh, 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 constituents who might be voters on what this technology is, obviously. We represent the Orange Party, which is no party at all, which is a technology which looks to make money sound and good again, and looks to not distort what the money. And in doing so, by supporting these projects, we are supporting accurate information, yes, which will land at the, at the hands of honest politicians. You know, because there are honest. Honest. There's no honest politicians. That's an oxymoron. More honest politicians who see the benefits of Bitcoin who might support it. So contextualize it. What yes. we're trying to do is just ensure that people get accurate information. I fully support your project. I think it's what you've done is amazing, Stephen. I will write a check for it. And anybody else who's listening and you want to write a check, go to...
0: We'll put the link in the show notes. Tell we've them some got people are fucking lazy. Open Sats. We got an Open Sats right. donation page. It's on the Swan Twitter. We'll we'll put it in there. It'll be in the link. Great. Cool. Perfect.
2: All right, man. Well, Thank listen. You. Well done with that. I know you put a lot of work into that, and uh, um, yeah, I fully support you. So let's get let's get into this. Yeah. Um, capital misallocation. Bitcoin actually fixes this. <laughs> okay. Let's start by definition, because we're talking about Bitcoin as money, but you're talking about capital. Explain what capital yeah. is.
0: Let me start with one principle that I want to just set the stage with, and then we'll, we'll answer that question. And so this is important for the audience to think of, because this doesn't get stated clearly. This isn't well understood. And this is like a first principle, and I want you to keep this in mind as you listen to this whole dialogue and this whole episode. Money while abstract, while symbolic, represents something fundamentally real and what that fundamentally real thing is is the world of atoms and molecules, factories and cars, labor and people's time, right? These are all tangible things. They're not abstract. They're they're real, they're measurable. And money in its in its proper form and and always it can just be distorted, but it always is is symbolic. It is representative of this real stuff. And this is both in kind of a measuring way, which is price, the price of the water bottle. It's measured in money. Money's the, the measuring unit, the denominator, the unit of account. But also it is, um, we're going to talk a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a lot about interest rates because well, we'll mention money printing, too, and expanding the supply. That gets a lot of time and attention. I want to I also really focus on interest rates because that's an important thing. And so what are interest rates? They're not an arbitrary thing. If you left a market to its own natural state and you didn't intervene in any way by a central authority, there would be a natural interest rate that money would be lent at. Not because a bank said, this is the interest rate or this is what the loans need to be, but because Because the market would naturally aggregate and compute the availability of capital, which we're going to define soon physical resources, valuable stuff. Uh, We'll give a much better definition. The availability of entrepreneurship, as in business people who have ideas or companies to invest money in, right? If there's none of those guys, there's nothing to lend money to. So the availability of physical productive resources, the availability of both entrepreneurs and the quality of those entrepreneurs, and the availability of basically skilled workers and, and and a labor force able to do it. And so the interaction between all of those things produces the natural interest rate. And that reflects the real world. That reflects reality. It is this incredible translation of this thing we can never measure. Because it's not only all the physical resources, but it's people's subjective values of things, their perceptions of the future, their their ideas and intuitions about what future people will want or value. And you can never measure those things, right? It's not physics. It's not, you know, objective in that way. And yet somehow the institution of money is able to compress all of that into a number that everybody can relate to. And so when a central authority comes in and they say, oh, they're like, they find a naturally occurring market with an interest rate of 5% and they say, no, you know, we're, we we can only lend it 2%. We're going to artificially cap that. They are sending a signal to every economic actor saying reality is not as it appears. Reality is not this world of 5% where capital has a certain availability. It's actually this world of 2%, which signals like capital is more abundant typically. And so, and, and we'll get into all of that. But the thing I want to leave people with is that price, interest rates, the ability of money to store value, they are symbolic representations of the real state of the world. They're not abstract they're not um you know set and when you distort that you send a signal to every economic actor that reality is different but it's not different and this causes problems so we'll just I want to start there
1: this show is brought to you by the Texas Blockchain Council now on November the 17th and 18th the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin Country Austin, Texas. And now this is a two-day event of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two with top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners, what more can you ask for? And I'm not just promoting it here on my podcast. I'm going to be heading to the event in Austin, I'm going to be in Vegas with Danny, but I'm going to be catching a flight over to Austin to see my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing a very important person on stage. So make sure you book your ticket and check out this event. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to hang out. Right. If you want to find out more, please head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you there. This offer is valid until the end of October, and I hope to see you all down in Austin, Texas. Next up, it is Gemini, who are also the lead sponsor of my football club, Rail Bedford. Now, I am exclusively using Gemini for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I am only buying... It is a time to buy for me. We're hodlers, right? We're hodling through this. Now, I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips. They have crushed it with the UX, and with that, I set up my DCA for twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Now, both the app and the website make it really easy for buying and selling Bitcoin, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security from day one. And they are running a special offer. For listeners of my podcast, What Bitcoin Did, all you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. Now, they heard about the difficulty I had finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in UK and Europe, and they are now expanding globally, and they have this incredible network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know, like me, a whole bunch of you had trouble with finding banking service providers. So if you're looking for a bank who understands and supports Bitcoin companies, rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you're going to want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also, today we have my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I am now using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, with the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. I remember when I used to use the previous Wasabi. You know, it's a little bit tricky trying to understand how to do a coin join. All that's taken away. It's all done automatically for you. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you never leak your IP address. There's also no minimum denomination. So any amount you receive from CoinJoin is totally private. Now, privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently. And with Wasabi 2.0, this makes it so easy. So if you want to find out more, please do go and check out wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Okay.
2: Uh, that was quite interesting because we brought it up the other day in that uh, if you go and look at the interest rates in the Bitcoin market, if you want to go to Ledin or BlockFi, or anyone else, and you go and look at their interest rates, actually, they seem quite high. You look at them and go, well, that's <laughs> quite high. If I want to you know, borrow against my Bitcoin, that's I've got to pay a high interest rate here. Yeah. And I think that is because we have been conditioned. Mm-hmm. We've been conditioned for two things. We've been conditioned to go, go out and... Uh, spend more than we have. So <laughs> if we're going to do that, we yeah. don't really want to pay a high interest rate. And we've been conditioned to low interest rates. But yeah. actually, what you miss is behind that high interest rate, there's a high savings rate that correlates with that. So actually, if you're a saver, you also can benefit from a higher interest rate. So that was quite interesting. What was it on at Leiden? Yeah, I think it was 7%. I'll pull it up. Yeah. Which is a natural market rate.
0: It's not, yeah. I mean, it's funny because in the fiat world, it's almost hard to say there's any natural market rates. Of it's course. more, it's more natural. Yeah. it's still influenced by this underlying structure. But of I course. agree with you. I, I get what you're saying.
2: I mean, look, your Bitcoin back loans seven point nine percent. So it's an APR nine point nine. And
0: also because of the loan-to-value, you you actually because you're asking savers to actually take risk and lend their cap their money, right? Exactly. Like it's, that's not what happens when a bank lends you dollars, really.
2: Uh, and what was the uh, savings rate? Six percent. So th- you you see the spread there. Yeah. So that all makes sense. Yeah. That is a proper functional market for whatever you think of companies. Sure that provide this. That is a sure. functional market that is setting rates at a market rate where you, you have to make a conscious decision. So, yeah. you know, if you could borrow against your Bitcoin at 0%, it'd be like, well, I might as well borrow against that Bitcoin yeah. at 0% because I can get access to more capital that I can make to work for me. And if the interest was, rate was super high, you'd be like, well, I definitely should save because I get a super high rate. You get to make a logical decision. So if I want to go buy a house...
0: That was my article. Yeah. You've said it. <laughs>
2: but it is. No, because no. like, uh, uh, if I want to go buy a house and I'm like, you know, and I'm a bit short, sure, but I've got some Bitcoin, I have to go, do I want to pay that yeah. 7.9%? No, I don't. You I have to be
0: selective. You have to be selective. You have to be selective.
2: Because they're proper rates. Yeah. Whereas... Why am I doing your article for you? I mean, because I was about to say, like, what we've got in this position now is... uh, Because I I purposely didn't read your article because I wanted you to tell me your article. Right. And so what we have is, when we have these super low interest rates, we have this... uh, scarce property resource where, so we've got people out there buying properties they can't really fucking afford. And then the slightest twitch in the interest rates, so many people are fucked. Exactly.
0: Because why wouldn't you borrow at at 2% to buy a piece of US real estate that on on average has gone up a lot more than that, barring a few corrections? Like, yeah, it just makes economic sense. Like the numbers add up, you know, it's, and so people do it. And that is the birth of, you know, financialization and other things, but, but maybe we'll circle back.
2: Yeah, so what, what is the difference between capital and money?
0: Yeah, so capital is everything that humans possess that is capable of producing a return. And I'm going to define a return in energy terms, which isn't the only way to define it, but I think this will be helpful. A return is where you put one megawatt of energy into something, and you get two megawatts of energy of finished product out. You have received more usable energy than what you put in. An example of this, a field of wheat. Let's look at all the energy that goes into growing a field of wheat. There's the tractor, there's the fuel, there's the fertilizer, there's the the human labor, the manufacturing of those products. We won't count the sun because we don't provide that. That's how, you know, what makes plants work. Um, But so all of that energy, we add it all up, we assess everything. And we compare that to the total usable caloric energy in the wheat. And we discover we got more out of it than we put in. And that's a return. And so capital, and so that's kind of in like raw energy terms, but it could also be like The energy that it takes to put hurricane shutters on a Florida home is far less than what it would take to fix the damage. You know all about this. I know all about this. By the way,
1: just
2: quick tangent. Everything okay? We're good.
0: We're good. I mean, we were fortunate it went 50 miles south of us. Like we got we got hit, you know, some trees went down, but we're good. All right, cool. Thank you. But so, you know, it doesn't take that much energy to put the shutters on, and it saves you a lot of damages if you get hit, right? So So not only is capital factories and cars and trucks and commodities and buildings, but I use a broad definition. It's also knowledge. It's the ability to transmit education. It's technical innovation. It's I mean, not patents themselves in the IP sense, but like inventions, knowledge, learning how to do something new. Uh, It's communication lines. It's the ability to coordinate people. It's everything that allows humans to do more, to produce more, to be more abundant. And so money plays a key role here, but there's a really important distinction. The institution of money if you look at like a market without money and a market with money, it becomes very clear that the institution of money allows the market and the economic system to become radically more abundant than it would otherwise, because people can coordinate. It's this universal synchronizing force. Um, but money in your pocket is not capital, right? It's it's abs- it's an abstraction. It, it doesn't actually produce. A return in of itself, right? Like you put the money on the table. There's nothing you can do with that money as a physical object. If it was cash, that would produce more, right? But it's money as it works in the system, the institution of money. So money, while not itself capital and the important caveat there, creating money, is not creating capital. You can't print your way to capital. You can't print your way to abundance because money itself, units of money, are not capital. But the institution itself plays a critical role in coordination, and it forms this very com this this comp- I, I use the word complex to say that um, it's it's just inherently it, the. So money interacts with physical capital to produce, I've I've, I've called in the article, spontaneous order. And so when you look at it, it's it's not easily definable. It's not easily measurable. The economy, it's so complex, and it's all these individual actors with local knowledge participating in a system. And so money makes that happen. Money comes in and provides a universal language to the market that allows business owners, consumers to make decisions, even if they don't know how the economy works, you don't need to know. Um, So, so money and capital are different, but money plays a critical role in forming and creating more capital. So what is capital? Productive resources, everything we have that is productive, that helps us do and have more.
2: But money does do that.
0: As a, as a system as a system but not not you know, only as you use it to interact with tangible resources right yeah
2: and money printing can't create more capital no does money printing dis- therefore destroy capital
0: it absolutely does usually does um you know you could come up with like an edge case where like the government is just brilliant and they print the money and they just spend it on like the best business idea you've ever thought of and create the next Apple. And in that case, yeah, they did. But that doesn't really happen in reality, right? It ever. just destroys capital for the most part. And it distorts because it, it it injects noise into the system. It distorts signal. And so it has a systematic deterioration that destroys or depletes capital.
2: So is money just a messaging system?
0: In a lot of ways, yeah. Money money is communication. Money is information in a certain source. Um, and Alan Farrington does a phenomenal job of... I, I want to make this point, and I'm pulling it fully from, from Alan. Um, it's common that people say um, money or price contains information Uh, and this is like something that gets said. and Alan does this phenomenal job of refuting that in an interesting way where he actually says price I mean if you're gonna say it contains some information. Yeah, of course it contains some information but the important thing that he says is that price actually reduces information to the bare necessity. So what's really cool about price And I use this example of a banana in the article of saying, okay, if you have a banana and you go to the store and this banana costs $0.50, what information can you reconstruct from that price? Because if price contained information, well, it would be in there somewhere. Can you reconstruct how much rainfall the farms got, how many farms were competing in this market, the cost of their labor, how much humidity? No, like you have you can't figure any of that out. All you know is it costs fifty cents.
2: The only information that gives me is how expensive that store is,
0: yeah, 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 it's a pricey banana, yeah, but um but so what price has done is it has simplified the information it has it has made it from this really complex thing where there's a million variables and inputs going into it, and it's brought it down to. Not just one thing, but even a number that can be compared. You can now compare a banana to a car. If you didn't have like a number, you could not compare bananas to cars easily. So it is this, it's this this—it's this enormous simplification of information that makes it so you or I, we don't need to know anything about banana production to know if we want to buy a banana, right? We just look at the price.
2: So what is, what is the role of price within a market then?
0: Yeah. So price allows economic, it allows people to coordinate, right? And it reflects, obviously, supply and demand. It it reflects the availability of goods and the demand for those goods. And so bringing it back to this discussion of like capital formation, um, if you're an entrepreneur, right, and you're making a business plan, let's say you want to make a shipping company, you use trucks, you're a trucking company, You need to know how much a truck costs to know how much money to raise, to know if your business is going to be profitable, to know how much you need to charge for your services, right? Like if you don't, you know, if if a truck costs a million dollars a truck versus $10,000 a truck, that makes a huge difference. And so the price allows entrepreneurs to create businesses and to plan and to price things. Um, and it allows this synchronization, this order, it allows this spontaneous order to emerge uh, because people can compare things, people can make decisions, and it reflects, obviously, supply and demand. Um, and so you have this problem in systems, right, where if you distort price... If if you print a bunch of money, if you lower interest rates, if you manipulate money as the denominator, money as the measuring stick, you make it tremendously more difficult for entrepreneurs to make good decisions.
2: So uh, a kind of wider question is, where did the distortion come from? Yeah. Because money came before we had central planners and interest rates set by central planners before we had central banks and how how did th- things operate before then can you i don't know if that you've done that as part of your research and i apologize if you haven't
0: yeah so i you know i'm going to have some limited i'm not you know a historian here but um, and there's a lot of competing views on there's a lot of competing views this is a contentious topic what of how money of
2: us. taxation or central banks
0: Taxation, for sure, 100% easily.
2: Without taxation, you wouldn't have had a central bank.
0: Of course. And, I mean, governments have been doing taxes since, I mean, Mesopotamia. I mean, in Mesopotamia, you can find interest rates, you can find loans, you can find landlords, you can find all these things. But so, prior to the ability of a central, so the distortion, you asked where did the distortion comes from. Kind of going back to my first principle, that money reflects the real. Prices reflect the real. Interest rates naturally occurring reflect the real. The distortion occurs when some central authority that has the ability to manipulate the supply of money or the time value of money, which is interest, manipulate it. They come in and distort it. And and I want to be clear here because we'll probably talk about low interest rates, money printing, But this could also happen by artificially making interest rates more expensive, raising them, or even destroying money. Either one is an alteration. Either one is a distortion. We just don't normally see the other one because it makes life harder for governments.
2: So pricing is a messaging tool. Pricing is used to uh, allow, it's like a messaging system to allow people to understand the cost of something that allows them to plan what they, get and what they require for their business, or what they want to accumulate. How does that work then in a, or what is the pitch therefore for, for a, a free market? Why is yeah. the market so efficient?
0: So that, that's kind of this incredible thing. It's kind of this, uh, like, people will call it kind of an emergent property, which I joke basically is like hand-waving for we have no idea of how this thing emerges. It just like, there's all this complexity and this very ordered structure comes out of it. So. You basically have, it is this interesting synchronization between the universal and the local. So all of us are local actors. We, I know what I know. I interact with you. I interact with Danny. We participate in whatever structures we're in, and we have knowledge about those structures. Um, and... Because we have certain knowledge, it allows us to make decisions. It, it allows us to evaluate price and know how much we're getting paid and know how much things cost. And all of that kind of synchronizes together on a, on a more universal level to produce this highly structured order that, that is the economic system. And that's what makes it so good. And it emerges organically from the knowledge of countless individual actors making decisions in their domains of expertise uh which is their real lives. Um and so that emerge it's it's this this signal, it's this, you know, coherency of information that emerges from millions of individual interactions. Uh but so when you have a central authority, when you have a central bank, when you have a government that decides they're gonna interfere with the very kind of the measuring stick, the the unit, right? It's 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 like if everyone uses a 12 inch ruler. To build a house. And then one day, the government wakes up and they change out all the rollers for an 11-inch roller, but they don't tell anybody. And so they still think they're using a 12-inch roller. That distorts everything in the system because you're using that as a measure. And the same thing happens with money, right? If we're using money to price things, we're using interest to price things, and that gets distorted, Nobody knows, really. Like, it, it, it distorts all of those calculations, and that cascades through the system.
2: So do you believe the role of the central bank is with good intention that becomes m- malicious, or do you think it is a, uh, a central planning system that can only fail because everything it's trying to do cannot work?
0: I would, you know, if you look at the history of central planners... They all kind of had good intentions, right? They uh-huh. had utopian intentions. You, you look at the modern era, right? And the the Soviets—they were trying to build a utopia, right? They were um, in seeing like a state. Uh, James Scott—I mean, he he does a great job with this, where he looks at the history of central planning failures, and uh, they're always trying to do something really good, but but it fails because it's the same principle as with money, right? Where you have a central authority trying to exert control over an organic system that produces a higher quality of information than that central authority can ever have. And that's just, that's the breakdown. The central authority can never have as much information as the naturally occurring market. And this is why interventions in money produce such chaos. They produce such disorder.
2: Because what... what appears like one small decision can have a cascading effect cascading through everything.
0: Yeah, they, it's the second-order impacts, it's the cost-benefit analysis, it's everything that emerges from it, right?
2: And it's an unfairer system. A fairer system is one that is bottom-up. Fundamentally,
0: I mean, fundamentally, letting money operate naturally is a fairer system. It is an organic system. Just don't distort it. Don't change it. You know, the governments can go keep themselves busy with something else. Okay, so
2: in a fair, freer market, how would interest rates, what is the role of interest rates and how should they work?
0: Yeah, so they should be so, Interest rates will emerge naturally, right? We looked at the the in dashboard, right? Like nobody told those guys, "Hey, here's what you should lend at." Right? There is a, a, a you know an interaction between the supply of capital of money, uh, the avail- and so in, in a market, there's the availability of capital and physical resources. There's the availability of talent, entrepreneurship, like projects to lend to, the quality of those projects, and the demand for those loans, and all of those kind of come together and synthesize a bunch of information and produce the interest rate. And, you know, if capital became incredibly abundant, that interest rate would come down. If capital got incredibly scarce, that interest rate would go up, all else equal. Um, And so so you have this problem. I think it might be helpful. So one of the things we see with artificially low interest rates... So we have actually, like, a lot of history of this. If you look at the 1700s in England, if you look at the 1800s, you can find all of these examples. This is not the first time in history we've tried artificially low interest rates. People have had the brilliant idea multiple times that we're going to kind of monetize our way to abundance, that if we can just manipulate the money in the right way, if we just make more money, make money abundant, then we'll have growth. And it it, it goes pretty much the same way every time. It produces speculation. It produces asset inflation. It produces capital misallocation. And, you know, eventually that kind of collapses in on itself. or and causes it, a and, crisis. And it,
2: widens the, wealth gap because the and it ac- widens the wealth gap because the access to capital is
0: Well, the asset cool. inflation, yeah, so two things. Asset inflation, whoever already owns the asset, those go up. Yep. And access to capital, right? So I have some quotes in the article about... Uh, I think it's a Bastiat quote, and he's saying that under your system, which was low interest rates, he's debating this guy, Proudhon, and the the wealthy will borrow for free, and the poor will not be able to borrow at all. And so, you know, you think in like a low interest rate regime, if you're Apple, you can probably get pretty close to that 0% interest rate when that was available, right? Well,
2: isn't that pretty much what Saylor has done with his...
0: Yeah, because of his size and scale, he can borrow capital at rates that, if you or I went to a commercial bank, we would not get those rates. Right.
2: So is he distorting, warping the price of Bitcoin?
0: <laughs> Next question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, I think it's yeah. a fair question, and I, th- I think it, I'd, I'd, I'd happily ask you to say that. I mean, I mean, but no, like, no, like, he's not. Well, no, But if uh, it's, it's not even a point in a finger at him, there's, yeah. there's nothing he's done wrong here. What I'm saying is, is that if if you warp the money, you warp everything else. If...
0: I mean, Saylor is increasing the price of Bitcoin, right? The question is, is that a distortion, right?
2: Yeah, but if, if he wasn't able to access the capital at the low rate he had have access to that, would he have borrowed so much money, and therefore would he have bought so much Bitcoin, and therefore- Probably is,
0: not. Yeah. If, I mean, that's clear, right?
2: And there's lots of us doing the same. This isn't me finger-pointing at yeah. him. I've taken out the largest mortgage I can get for my property over the longest term with the lowest deposit so I can hold more Bitcoin yeah. because I know over over time my Bitcoin will outperform that. I've done the same. Just with what I can do. Yeah. You know, I took out a loan to buy Bitcoin. I've I've done all the things he's done just at the microscopic level. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which is a rational decision given the interest rates and given the comparison between these two assets, right? It's Pierre Richard's speculative attack.
2: But at the same time, if we didn't have this uh, misallocation of capital, we probably wouldn't have Bitcoin anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Bitcoin is a response to the misallocation
0: yeah. of capital. Yeah. Those things are in communication. Those things are in communication with each other.
2: So, so the artificial interest rates essentially are, the, they're one of the most damaging parts
0: of it. Yeah, they are really damaging. And I, and I want to talk about that because, you know, money printing gets so much airtime in the Bitcoin community. But the artificial interest rates, I think, are also incredibly damaging. And so there's a few ways, right? One is I give an example of a factory in the article, right? Like, let's say the natural interest rate in a market is 6%. And then a government comes along and says, like, you know, lending money, making interest is evil. The maximum, which has happened in England, you know, in the past, right? There have been these kind of pushbacks against, uh, you know, earning interest off lending money. And so they say the maximum you can lend for is 2%, right? Right. And so let's say there's a bunch of entrepreneurs, there's a bunch of potential business owners that say, great, I can borrow for 2%. That's wonderful. And so they all, a 100 of them, borrow money and they go try to build factories because, you know, borrowing at 2% is better than borrowing at 6%.
2: Sorry, can we just walk back yeah. that second? That, that isn't a rate that's set that you, that you can only lend out. That's the base rate. At which the banks borrow in the
0: past, they actually had you have to lend at this rate,
2: but that's not true now. No, no, that's the base rate at which you can borrow money from the government or the banks can borrow. So that's the
0: that's the base rate. That's the yes. base rate.
2: So that's slightly different. Yes. How does the base? How does artificially setting the base rate distort the market?
0: Well, so it, it's the same thing. It brings it down, right? Like if you set the base rate to one percent and then the banks lend at two percent, it's the same thing as Forcing everyone to lend at two percent—it's all about that end number, right?
2: Yes, but I can still set my—I can still set my own rate above it. Is is the—is the issue really the base rate? So I'm just trying to work this through in my head. Or is it that the government is trying to flood the market with capital, allowing it to be lent at that lower rate?
0: I think they're interrelated. It, it,
2: buying out the so, for example, I'm just, sorry, I'm just working through it oh, yeah. in my head. Mortgage company banks have lent company uh, money out to people with mortgages. People cannot afford to buy their mortgages. The government ends up buying those mortgage securities and then giving money to the banks to relend at that lowest interest rates. That to me feels like where the distortion is happening
0: it's a subsidized, i mean to the, the have an artificially low rate you have to kind of subsidize that right there yeah. that's possible with the central bank no central bank you you know it costs money to do that right you have to actually make those loans yes
2: yeah, the danny work this through with me but it's the it's the, sub, the it, essentially by buying those government securities those, those bank securities they're subsidizing that bank's miso- ca- misallocation allocation of capital to people who can't afford to buy those mortgages
0: yes and if you if you if the interest rate set say 1% and you're a bank offering Offering 6%, just no one will go to you. It'll exactly. go to someone else yeah. who's offering it at 5%, and then someone will offer it at 4%. So it's just the competition within the market. It's a or... race to the bottom. But right? if,
2: if there was no base rate, that that competition m- m- might still exist. It's not of course. it's not the government said in the rate. Yeah. It is it is the subsid, it's the way they've been subsidized. I don't think it's the, the base rate that government and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's the government base rate which is the issue. I think it's the subsidizing of the banks that is the issue that allows them to have ever-increasing amounts of capital to lend at low rates.
0: So I just think those things interact with each other, right? They're not completely separate. Yeah. And you do have this race to the bottom that if you know the federal funds rate is 0%, then it is profitable for a bank to lend at, slightly above that right yeah and, and then there's also, there's also this, there's also the bailouts. There's also the yeah. subsidization. It takes the risk away from them for bad loans. They're not, they're not super resp- I mean, they still have some consequences from bad loans and I'm not, I'm not like a deep bank plumbing expert. So if I say something wrong here, excuse me, but they still have some responsibility for like a non-performing loan, but they have been bailed out. There have been, you know, essentially subsidizations there. I mean, there's, there's a diffusal of responsibility that is really widespread throughout fiat where financial, large financial institutions are not truly responsible for their own decisions because there is this ability to create money. Um, so it plays a key role and and they, they interact, but I think that what you really want to focus on is not how, or, or, you know, not, not like how it happens or what might happen, but what does happen? Yeah, what right? does happen? What does happen? What does happen is when that rate is really low, banks lend really low. And it kind of is irrelevant if it could be different or or or, you know, why in some ways. But what does happen is when the Fed has rates at 0%, I get a 2.5% mortgage, right? And when that rate goes up, now mortgages are 7% and treasuries are higher, right? That's what does happen. This show is brought to
1: you by BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin Casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. And not only do they have cutting edge security, but they also offer fast withdrawals and some amazing VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino out there. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up, we have Aladdin from savings and accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, with recent events in the lending industry, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach, and they are building out one of the best financial service providers in Bitcoin Now, they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation nonsense and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. They only support Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledden is there to support all your needs. Not only they're a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I love the service, love what they're doing, love the team, and pleased to be working with them. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledden.io, which is L-E-D-N Next up is the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, hosted by
2: Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. And the Pacific Bitcoin Conference is nearly here, and I'm going to be heading out to Santa Monica in California on November the 10th and 11th to hang out with Bitcoiners. So have you got your ticket yet? Some of the best minds will be there. We've got Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, and loads of others discussing the most important topics in Bitcoin. Also, someone's going to get the chance to walk away with a whole Bitcoin from Fold and Swan. And they've also included some fun sessions like a pitch competition. There's a trivia game, a three-on-three basketball tournament, along with some amazing basketball exhibitions, and something called Bitcoiner Speed Dating. A Pacific Bitcoin VIP pass includes valuable networking opportunities in the VIP lounge, exclusive stage viewing access, and private parties Thursday night and Saturday afternoon. And there's so much more. There's a lightning hackathon, peer-to-peer running Bitcoin, ALS fundraiser in honor of the legend Hal Finney, the pleb Party... And a beach party meet
1: up on Saturday to unwind and chill. If you aren't coming, then I've got to question your life decisions. But if you do want to grab a ticket, come over and hang out, please head over to PacificBitcoin.com. Use the code PETA for a special discount. And I hope to see you all there. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, recent events this year have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger recently announced the launch of the new Nano S Plus, and the larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. The Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security of all Ledger products. And listen, I have been using Ledger products since 2017. Five years is crazy, right? And absolutely love everything they've done. They are my favorite wallet provider, and they have absolutely crushed it this year. Now, if you do want to find out more, If you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. So what what is the issue with low rates? Talk, Talk to me about your car analogy.
0: Yeah. So, so that's on, so that's on negative. The car is on negative rates. The issue with low rates is in the factory. So we, you know, let's say we have a world, we artificially bring low interest rates down to say 2% and the natural market of like where the market would naturally set those would be 6%. So all the entrepreneurs, they look at this 2% rate and they say, wonderful. Capital money's available. I can borrow cheaply. The numbers make sense for me to make this long-term investment into my factory. And so a 100 entrepreneurs, they borrow at that 2% rate, and they go to build a 100 factories or buildings, factories or buildings. And what happens, and we've seen this in history is they run into a shortage of physical goods, right? There's not enough bricks, there's not enough wiring, there's not enough of the actual stuff Because the low rate has simulated a world in which those resources were abundant. They were available. It distorted reality. But when they actually go to build the factory, those resources are not available. They're not abundant. And so we saw this in England, um, where basically there was a construction boom after the interest rates were, were lowered. And you basically had the brick, brick brickmakers They were, like, shipping off pallets of bricks as soon as they were dry, and everyone was fighting for them. Now, why this is a problem is basically nobody finishes the factory, right? Hmm. Like, they're not done. So you have a hundred half-built factories, which helps nobody, which doesn't produce capital, which doesn't help society. You have labor that's on the sideline. The system has lost efficiency.
2: Right. And is that because over time that uh, a system becomes... Uh, efficient by the aggregation of the, all the decisions, the inputs yes. and outputs. Yes. And any kind of harsh, well, not even harsh, but change the internet change rate it. is jolting the exactly. system. It's like an electric shock to it.
0: Well, it's saying reality is not it like it's not real. It's saying that so that natural rate emerges among many things from the availability of those resources. And so when you lower it, you're sending signals to the market that resources are abundant when in fact they're scarce. You're distorting what reality is.
2: So in the free the free market, that would set, and you could have low interest rates in a free. You market. You could absolutely, but that that would set because essentially, I mean, the interest rate is, is is the rent price for money. Yeah. So what would drive low interest rates in a free market?
0: So it is the availability. It's the availability of capital. It's the availability of entrepreneurship. So how would you get to low interest rates in a free market? You would get to low interest rates in a very abundant world. So in a world, let's say we have all these technology breakthroughs and we can produce stuff super cheaply and... You know, let's say our current world, all else equal, if energy became half the price, like everything's the same, energy's half the price, the natural interest rate would come down. We're more abundant. We have more access to resources. So in an economy where resources and entrepreneurs and business owners... They're they're everywhere and they're efficient and they're good. You have a lower interest rate, right? It's the signal of a healthy, of, of like a prosperous system, which is why governments throughout time, they've looked at economies that were prosperous and said, look, their interest rate is low. Maybe if we had a low interest rate, we would also be prosperous. But it's an inversion of that logic.
2: So when you see this and then you see negative interest rates, what yeah. are you thinking then?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's, so that's like saying, I'm going to pay you to borrow my new Mercedes. So I've got a brand new Mercedes and I'm gonna pay you to drive it around like barring some insane edge case where it costs me three thousand dollars to park the car or like I'm not a reliable driver and I'm gonna crash it there's no reason in the real world that would ever happen
2: like because it, it destroys the value and I'm paying you to, to reduce the value in that.
0: And, and it makes no sense yeah. it, you would never do it right like you're not gonna you're not gonna buy a, a brand new house and then pay me to live in it unless like you know you need someone to watch it but it's 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 a distortion of the way actual real human beings make economic decisions. And so there's there's a thing here, Peter, and it is um, that money, why does money command interest, right? Why Why should money have interest? It's very clear why a factory, like if I were going to rent my factory to you for a year, hmm. well, I would need to charge interest for that factory. Why? Because that factory could produce economic activity, hmm. and I'm not going to be able to get that if I give it to you. Money inherits that quality from real capital, right? The reason that money has interest is because if I didn't lend that money out, I could use it to purchase or rent real capital, like a factory, and make a return. So opportunity cost. Exactly. And risk. Exactly. Exactly. So how
2: have we? So how has the financialization of the system sent everything kind of skewy? Yeah. And what what parts of the financialization of the system are? acceptable? Like, where have things gone wrong?
0: So I think where things have gone wrong, one thing I really don't like is there's this thing called a zombie company that emerges from, like, a low interest rate environment. Um, And what a zombie company is, is a company that needs to keep borrowing debt to stay alive. If they weren't able to access debt and usually cheap debt, they would not be able to continue normal business operations. In essence, they're not profitable, right? Like there's a there's a negative energy return, like more energy goes in than comes out. They're wasting resources, they're wasting capital. Um, but because they can borrow cheaply, they're able to stay in business. And there's a lot of these right now. There's a, there's a lot of these companies and they're really bad for a number of reasons. Uh, And they're subsidized by low interest rates. One reason they're bad is so, usually these companies are are fairly big and they might make a a product or a service that you actually use. So you think, oh, well, you know, I, I use this thing, it's valuable. But they're doing so in such a way that they're wasting resources, they're inefficient. It's a broken business model. And so in a natural system, there's this creative destruction of capitalism. That company would go bankrupt. And so what happens is you've got this startup over here. You've got this hungry young company with a new business model that comes in. They can buy their capital, their factories, their things. They can hire their skilled employees that were working for the dysfunctional company um, to come work for the new startup and, and, and get that knowledge and talent. And they can also get the customers that were attending to that business, the new startup can get it. And so if the startup has a functional new business model that comes in, it replaces the dysfunctional zombie company and it, you know, the world benefits from that. We become, we have a functional business in place of a dysfunctional business. But if you keep subsidizing the zombie company with cheap debt, that doesn't happen. They just atrophy in the middle of the market. They just sit there burning debt, borrowing people's money, never fixing the problem. And that slows growth, that slows capital formation, and it causes a problem for everybody.
2: Uh, can you think of any specific examples of companies like that?
0: So it's, 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 it's any company. So <laughs> I, I would normally say, I would mention Uber. I do think they actually had a profitable quarter for the first time recently. So Uh that may, maybe they've turned it around. You, You always could turn it around, but there is, I mean, there's a ton of these. This debt-based model, right, has become incredibly popular because interest rates have been low. You can borrow for for almost nothing, or you, you have been able to. As rates rise, you're going to see, I mean, unless they can find some alternate form of financing or the Fed pivots soon, like, they're going to see the real ramifications of the, that interest expense.
2: Because uh, all those... Uh Uh, funds have been able, venture capital funds have been able to raise money so cheaply. There's been such an abundance of money. They've been able to raise money. uh, They can invest in these companies that uh, for years have not made a profit. I mean, some of them go to IPO without ever having made a profit. So is that a distortion, a massive distortion of the market?
0: You know, I mean, that could, that could happen naturally, right? Like you could just say like, you know, Amazon didn't make a profit for a while and they're a very functional business. Like, the, the, the story that these investors tell themselves is like, well, we're just investing in growth, right? Like this company is going to be, you know, prosperous one day. And, and that could happen, right? That could happen. But, um, a lot of the times it, a lot of times it doesn't. And so you run into this situation where it basically comes back to, are these companies being subsidized with distorted, manipulated money? And if so, chances are, at least across the system, maybe not any one individual company, uh, you are subsidizing these companies that would not exist otherwise.
2: So how does Bitcoin fix this?
0: Yeah. yeah. So Bitcoin fixes this because all of these examples, right? We didn't talk about money printing so much, but you can distort, you can obviously distort prices by printing more money. You can distort prices by artificially lowering interest rates. It's it's interventions in the natural market, in the information of the system, the spontaneous order. And so when a central authority comes in and they intervene, they distort it. That's just the bottom line. These are all just examples of monetary interventions. And this sounds so simple, right? This sounds so straightforward, but um, you just don't mess with the money. The money... Is a, is a measuring tool. It is a communication tool. It holds information. It simplifies things. It helps people make decisions. And when you distort that, you distort the efficiency of the system. So it sounds so simple, but just don't mess with the money. Don't distort the actual money itself. You can have financial products built on top of it. You can do loans. You can do have banks you can have credit you can have all these things but if you just if you just don't distort the actual monetary medium and the actual price of money the time value of money you don't get a lot of these negative effects and so why bitcoin because bitcoin is the first credibly non-interventionary money the whole innovation of bitcoin is that it is not able on a monetary level to be distorted or altered you can't change the supply and You know, you could have a government that, like, sets interest rates around Bitcoin as a base money. But good luck enforcing it. And, like, you're left with the consequences. Because you can't print more Bitcoin if you make a bad loan. You have to actually eat that bad loan, which disincentivizes you from doing it.
2: Yeah, which is another thing is this, um, these bailouts that we've had, especially during COVID, there were a number of companies that probably should have been allowed to fail and be reset. that hasn't happened. It's the, we want the constant boom without any bust. We want expansion of the economy and expansion of GDP without contraction. The only way you can get without contraction is by manipulating the money.
0: And that's another, that's another part of it, right? It's this, how do they justify, how do they justify the zombie companies? How do they justify a lot of this stuff? National security. (laughs) (laughs) And, And through this kind of the way we think of GDP, like what is GDP really? It's revenue. Right, it's it's how much revenue did it's you make? It's not
2: productivity.
0: It's not product. It's not profit. It doesn't mean it works. You 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 own a business. You operate yeah. a business. You know, like revenue. Okay, that's great. Maybe that shows how much. But if you spent more than that revenue, like you yeah. didn't make anything, it wasn't profitable. And so they look at it, and so they have this notion. Like I've talked about this that. You know, if we, if we finance, and so one of these other things is like, there's this thing that we're just gonna kind of spray and pay. We're just gonna give out a ton of loans. We're gonna fund everything, and we're gonna hope that it all works. And they justify it through this, this way of accounting for GDP, of focusing on revenue, where, okay, if I give WeWork $10 billion, well, they're paying people salaries, and people using those salaries to buy stuff, and they're paying taxes, and so it circulates through the economy. But what they don't recognize is that if we fund a bunch of nonsense companies to hire all of our smartest people, the money might be fungible, but those people's time and intellectual output are non-fungible. And so if all those people are working for joke companies, they're not working on fertilizer and rockets and travel. And that is a that is a destruction of capital, right? Where we're wasting capital, building nothing, building unimportant things, instead of having those people work on meaningful things. So there's this real impact.
2: And, and in this Bitcoin world of uh, uncorruptible money that cannot be printed and probably doesn't have interest rates set, what, what are the things that people would have to get used to? Those people who have been conditioned to live in, in this fiat world, what are the changes they're going to have to get used to?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's most likely going to be more expensive to borrow money. Okay. Right. You know, you can look at uh the, the interest rate, right? When we were on a gold standard in Europe, the average interest rate was like around six or seven percent. Yeah. So that was significantly worth higher. To save. Exactly. Makes it worth it to save. And you know, it so interest rates probably higher and financial activities are going to carry in a sense more risk or at least you're going to be responsible for your own risk right there's this we kind of talked about it there's this huge subsidization there's this huge bailout culture there's this huge kind of trying to remove the impact or responsibility of bad financial decisions from corporations and institutions and in a Bitcoin and that's possible because you can print the currency yeah because you can you can financially engineer the system to paper over those liabilities or those those bad loans and in a bitcoin world like you can't do it no Mm. one's got free money so no one's gonna bail everyone out for no reason because it costs them something to do it so don't fuck with the money don't fuck with the money. Just um, just leave it alone. Like let it like build, let the system organize around it, and there'll be plenty of stuff to do there. And just leave the it's it's like I said. I keep making this comparison, but it's like distorting the value of a number in math or in code. It's just like changing the basic measuring unit. It just messes everything up. It's a little bit along the lines of why we want to promote capital formation. And it's this notion that this is how civilization advances. This is how we all have more productive lives. And there's a lot of people in the world today that maybe they, they, they subscribe to like degrowth or environmental ideologies or c- concerns and ideologies and concerns. And they might look at like growth and capital formation as like this bad thing, right? It's like this negative thing. It's destroying the planet, it's exhausting resources. And, Actually, in some ways, the exhaustion of resources is the antithesis of capital formation, right? You're actually destroying capital, right? Like, those things are kind of aligned. They can come together. But capital, right, we need to create more capital no matter what you want to do. If you want to save the environment or you want to have, like, the richest world possible and have a bunch of private jets... Either way, you need more capital because it is the productive resources of mankind that allow us to do things, that allow us to exert our will, that allow us to accomplish things. You know, it, it, you know, whether you're building factories to produce more stuff or you're building nuclear power plants to like mitigate carbon, like you're, you're still producing capital. And so this distortion, like it isn't just a concern of you know, economists and Wall Street and investors, it's a concern of every human being on this planet because this is just a a way of talking about how humans do things and how we've done things since the beginning of time, right? (laughs) There's, uh, okay, I'm going to throw something out there. This is a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. There's a lot of people in the world today that like don't like capitalism and are very critical of capitalism. And something I've noticed is if you were to get 50 of them in a room and you were to ask them to define capitalism, you would get 50 different answers. It's unclear. They yeah. don't really know what that word means. They might say landlords or companies, interest or money or finance or lending All of those things existed in Mesopotamia. They are fundamental constants to how humanity organizes. From the earliest beginnings of civilization, we have had ownership, money, interest, lending, land. And I think corporations were in Rome for the first time. Those came a little later. Um, But these things have been around forever. So that can't be what capitalism is because if that's what it is then we've been capitalist for all of human history and i don't think that's true no i think capitalism is a system which is concerned with forming capital with creating more capital with with growing capital and this is something that affects everybody. And it, and, it, and it's cohesive. It interacts with, I think, people on all sides of the fence on a variety of issues. Because, you know, just going back to it, you need to manage your capital to do environmental stuff and to do economic stuff. You need to have capital if you're going to engage in any big undertakings. Like, having more productive capacity that is sustainable and real benefits literally everybody.
2: Amazing. Okay, if somebody wants to read this, where can they read it?
0: It's on the uh, Swan Bitcoin blog. So, Capital Misallocation Bitcoin Actually Fixes This by myself, Stephen Lupka. Find me on Twitter and uh, you can find that article on Swan.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to sit down with you again. Uh, Amazing article. Yeah, I'm going to send this out to a few people. I'll let you know the feedback. Okay. Amazing, man. Keep going. Great, Peter. See you in LA. See you there. Okay, thank you for listening to what Bitcoin did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Stephen. I'm certain he's going to be a regular on the show. And as per Stephen's call to action, please, if you are able to donate to the Bitcoin Policy Institute, they're an amazing organization doing the heavy lifting required for orange-pilling decision makers. So, yes, I hope you enjoyed this show. There's a load of stuff in the show notes you might want to check out as well. And anyway, yeah, happy Halloween. As I said, it's my birthday. I'm not going to be working today. I'll probably send some tweets but I won't be doing much work today. I'm going to go enjoy it. I'm going to go and see some friends, eat the hedgehog cake my daughter made me, and generally just have some time off. All right. Love you all. I'll see you later in the week. If you want to drop me an email, it's did.com.